It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast presented by our friends at Smoky Mountain Organics. Check them out online at SmokyMountainOrganics.com or you can visit them at one of their four locations in Knoxville and East Tennessee, Kingston Pike, across from Trader Joe's. They got it in Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, Sevierville. That is Smoky Mountain Organics, East Tennessee's most trusted health and wellness store. Be sure and check them out. And again, if you shop in the store, be sure to mention VolQuest and you'll get 15% off your total purchase price but you can also shop online at SmokyMountainOrganics.com. With Austin Price and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us on this Tuesday. Plenty to get to in the BallQuest.com podcast. And um, Rob, we, we put a bow tie uh, as best we can on this Ole Miss game and, and, and everything surrounding that, that game. What, what is your – let's start with the game itself. What, what is your takeaway from that, uh, from Tennessee's loss and, and – We'll, we'll we'll go there first. What's your takeaway from Tennessee and that loss? I mean, I don't. I'm, I'm not talking calling it a moral victory. I'm not. I, I know fans are tired of even, you know hearing that kind of talk. But I think for a team that was as shorthanded as Tennessee was, I I, I, I was really impressed with the way they competed. <clears throat> I mean, to me, that's my biggest takeaway actually through seven games is how they compete and how they they clearly enjoy playing for this coaching staff and they're laying it all out there for them. Uh, but I mean, to be down two starting offensive linemen, to be down your best running back uh, on offense, I mean, this team, it doesn't have the resources to, to overcome that. It, it just doesn't. And um, I, I thought the, the way they, they kept clawing back, and I mean, me and you, I think me and you talked about this, but even, I mean, you give up over 500 yards of offense. I thought the defense played pretty good in the second half. I mean, three times, four times, if you count the very last desperation drive, they gave the offense the ball in the second half with a chance to to take, take the lead, and, and they couldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, you hold that team to seven points and five first downs in the second half. I, I think you're doing something. And uh, I, I mean, Austin, you mentioned this in the two-minute drill after the game, and I, and I know you've mentioned it some um, uh, since then. The dumbest I mean, football play I've ever seen? No, oh, no, not that. We'll get to, we'll get to, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 on, I'm on the more positive train right now, AP. Jump back on the tracks here. Hop on the positive train with me. What I was going to say is, for, for and you mentioned this, and I want to echo it, through this portion of the season, I don't want to say the MVP, but maybe you in the conversation for the MVP for this team is Tim Banks. What, what they're getting done on defense and how far they've come from where they were at the end of the spring with no identity, not a lot of parts, and what they're getting out of that group right now um, and, and what he has evolving the, the mentality and the personality of that defense into, to, to me, in a lot of ways, that's as exciting as what Josh Heupel's doing on offense. I know it's not sexy because it's not 60 points a game, but you got to be impressed with what Tim Banks has gotten done and what he got done in the second half uh, against Ole Miss Saturday night to give the team a chance to win. Well, again, when your coordinator comes in, you never know. I mean, there have been a couple here that you thought were slam dunk, going to be a huge addition to the program, and they were duds. And then there's been a couple. I mean, look at John Jancic. He came in with not, you know, I mean, people are like, oh, he was at Georgia, blah, blah, blah. And he was really solid. And then here comes Tim Banks. Didn't call the plays at Penn State. Was co-defense coordinator, but didn't call the defense. Last called the defense with Illinois, and, and, and you know, he had nothing uh, – 
in Champaign uh, from a from a talent standpoint. So he was the great X factor coming in. You didn't know what you had, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. You didn't know what you had. And to this point, he's been dynamite. To, to, to piggyback Rob's comments, I am going to call it a moral victory, and Vol fans should gravitate towards it. Don't don't say you're tired of hearing moral victories. You got your tail handed to you, and 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 you know the last three years in in major games. This was a major game with a major atmosphere against a ranked opponent. You had, I mean, like you didn't have, we're, we're not even talking bullets in the gun hub. They had to flip that thing around and try to beat them with the butt of it. I mean, like they had nothing. I mean, like you look at the guys on both sides of the ball that were playing for Tennessee. And if you had told me a year ago that this was going to happen, I would have lost a ton of money. I think everybody would have. So, I mean, I, I'm all in on the moral victories right now, but not a year from now, but right now with this group, with the lack of depth, I mean, to compete as Rob talked about the way they've competed um, through the first, you know, seven football games. And, and, you know, again, you know, nobody expects much of them this week at Alabama. Everybody expects Alabama to be all mad because they lost two weeks ago at Texas A&M and, and play, you know, unbelievable football. And maybe they do. Maybe they run Tennessee out of the stadium, but uh, you know, this team's going to go in there and they're going to compete and they're going to fight and they're going to do what they do. And, you know, I mean, I, I just I, – I'm all in on that. I think that's what you got to hang your hat on is being competitive and, and, and finding ways when you don't have a whole lot. And right now, this group, this staff, this team, they're doing that. Yeah, I mean, the effort that they're playing with is, is pretty crazy. I, Rob, Tim Banks reminds me a little bit of, of Justin Wilcox. Wilcox had more of a resume, I guess, coming in. He was the, you know, the play caller at Boise and, and had the reputation because he, you know, he they upset Oregon and his game plan was there. But but nobody really in, in the SEC footprint had any idea kind of who he was. And, and he was quickly, I mean, you quickly found out he was he was pretty good at what he was doing. I kind of the the past of this of the of the arrival of Tim Banks kind of mirrors that a little bit to me. I mean, those are the two unknown hires. When, when you think about coordinator hires that Tennessee has recently made, I'm not saying Sal Sinceri was, you know, I mean, obviously that was a terrible hire, but everybody knew who that guy was, right? He had the Bama pedigree, terrible hire, but you at least knew what the resume looked like. You didn't with Justin Wilcox. Everybody said, who is he? And with Tim Banks, everybody said, who is he? Yeah, and a guy, and similar, neither one of them had, you know, really any connection to the South. I mean, right. totally. I mean, coming from out West, coming from up North, I, I can see that. And they're both, I mean, personalities are a little bit similar too. I mean, not, they're, they're not these rah, rah, you know, they're not going to headbutt guys coming off the field. I guess maybe just about had a little bit of that in it, but they're more, you know, business, take care of business type guys. And I think they're also like a lot of guys like coach Heupel and a lot of guys on his staff, they don't worry about what they don't have. They, you know, they, they take the approach. I think of, you know, not complaining, not wishing we had this guy or that guy. Just this is what we've got. Now let's let's build a plan and make it work. Yeah, I, yeah, and they've made it work. We'll see how much more they can make it work down the stretch. Obviously, at some point, this team's got to get healthy. We'll dive into the health of, of this team Oof. and kind of things moving forward in just a second. But let's put a little bit of a final bow tie on the Ole Miss thing. We we cannot not do a podcast and talk about you know, what happened at the end, the fact the SEC, to no surprise to me, is fine, Tennessee, $250,000, um, you know, and, and all of that, that still no 
clarification or no real addressing of, of, of the officiating issues and the officiating question marks. How big of that, not, maybe not publicly, because each individual fan base is going to be mad every week over officiating, but, but if you're Greg Sankey and you, and you sit back from 30,000 feet and you're reviewing your football season a, a, to this point and, and look at it moving forward, how big is your concern over kind of what your officiating's look like across the board through seven games? I mean, I, 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 I think that it should be concerning when you're the flagship conference of, of college football and, and it's not even remotely close. I mean, I think you should be having first-class operations across the board. And I mean, and they have a license to print money and not have enough cameras to have angles that you need to, for replay to get things right. To me, that's ludicrous. Yeah, that's, that's my biggest takeaway. And maybe I'm missing something here. I mean, I think they completely botched the Tyler Barron uh, in that play. I mean, I think that's a botch for, for sure. Um, human error is always going to be an element in, in football. I think when you're you got two teams playing as fast as those two teams were playing, you better have your most athletic officiating crew on the field for as much as they were going up and down the field. But with the game going at that pace, you're, you're going to miss some things. My my biggest thing, and this is for college football in general, but but certainly the SEC because I'll follow it closer, Austin, is that your replay is not good enough to fix enough wrongs. You're going to have wrongs on the field, and not every play, not every penalty can be reviewed and I, I get some of that but but some of the fundamental things are not getting corrected in review and that's the head scratcher to me whether it's either the review people doesn't make a lot of sense or you don't have the technology to give you enough angles to fix to fix mistakes with review I, I agree of everything you just said I mean to me like all of the, the, the amount of money that's involved in, in the television contract, every television game should have the same amount of cameras, whether that's streaming on, on SEC Plus or CBS or ESPN or SEC Network. You know, I, it boggles my mind. We are in a uh, day and time where we can follow a golf ball for 300 yards with, with Tracer. Why can't something not be put in a football where – all is at all times you know compared to the to the line to game i mean i'm just saying like like it seems like that could be invented like i mean like you know we, we can follow a golf ball and and the curvature of it perfectly from 300 yards but we can't follow you know a football for 10 i you know i i, I just feel like that some type of technology can be invented to, to help and to me that helps the officials it's a backup for them. Yeah, I mean, I just think that review was put in place, Rob, to 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 right wrongs, but because wrongs are always going to exist, there's a human element to it. You're, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to miss things. There's no question about that. But I mean, one of the biggest fundamental issues in football right now is is marking the football, spotting the football, and somehow, some way, whether it's a chip in a football or somebody mentioned this on the board, I think it's actually a pretty good idea. You know. Put a camera on the on the yard marker at the end of the first at the, you know at the end of the yard marker at the, where the first down line is. You got a yard marker on each side of the ball. Put one there and see if that helps you see the ball. It's just mind-boggling that the three angles that they showed they did not have an angle where you could see the football because yeah, there was no I, angle on the other side, no camera on the other side of the field. And I'm obviously no scientist, but I mean, the, 
the way the things that they're doing, nanotechnology these days, I, I, I have to believe you could put, you know, sensors on a football, right? And which one? Triangulate it. Yeah, what be small enough to yeah. be small enough to put in the nose, or you know, it wouldn't affect the, the flight or anything. I mean, they're making things. I mean, tiny, tiny these days. I mean, like that. It, to me, it, it seems fixable, especially for a league that, like I say, is just absolutely printing money right now. Like you could, you sh- you sh- you should you should want to fix it. You should yeah. want to make sure that that you get everything right that you that is humanly possible to get right. Yeah, I think finding a fix to that's more important than creating a pylon cam. You know, I mean, what's the yep. pylon cam giving you other than, uh, you know, a director, a nice shot at some point. But I mean, you, you don't need the pylon cam to determine a touchdown. But, but you know, I, I just I think that's the direction that this thing has to go moving forward. Not not right now. The other thing they have to fix is, you know, the flops, you know, the guys, the guys that's- taking a dive. And, and I, I don't know. I, I hear the argument that the guys got to stay out the whole series or the guy's got to stay out five plays. I don't know how you keep track of that. I think that's hard to, to, to monitor in, in some ways and keep track of. I also think in some cases that's not really fair. I mean, guy gets the wind knocked out of him. Should he have to set for seven or eight snaps? Yeah, like Elante Taylor when he got hit in the nuts. I mean, like, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, like, should he have had to set out for five or six plays? Yeah. You know, so so the question becomes then – should you be allowed to substitute during those timeouts other than the player that's injured? Is that, is that some way, but I mean, you, Greg Sankey was on the nation. I think he's pretty clear in saying they've got to fix this problem. I think a lot of people are seeing, you know, when you got coaches visibly caught on camera saying, lay down, get down. Um, you know, when, when guys are, you know, it's pretty clear that guys aren't hurt um, and, and they, they take two or three steps and then fall down um, or stand there looking fine and all of a sudden fall over. Uh, it has to be fixed, doesn't it? I mean, it, it, this can't continue because yeah. it, it's only going to get worse if they allow it to continue. I mean, it's making a mockery of things. I mean, it's absolutely. They'll find loopholes. Like, let's say they say you've got to set out X amount of plagues. Or they'll find a loophole is, you know, they'll start, you know, or that when they get a player in there that's just a pedestrian guy that they can afford to play without, he'll become the designated laydown guy. It just won't be as frequent. You know, it's like Josh and them love to, you know, have the, the, the fake injuries on extra points, which, you know, doesn't slow down play uh, from a, from a, like on the field, it just slows down in between the touchdown and the kickoff. So it's, you're just killing time, not like play time. I don't know what the answer is, but but it can't continue to go the way that it's going because it's only getting worse. And again, it, it's just creating a substitution. And I think one of the biggest concerns has to be the fact that teams are obviously doing it to substitute four or five players instead of just one player. So the easy answer might just be you can't substitute anybody else. Whoever, come, whoever gets hurt has to come off the field and you bring one person in. That would slow it down, right? I mean, if you yeah. – I mean, you know, and maybe that's the easier thing to manage as opposed to saying, all right, this guy's got to set out X number of plays or or, or whatever the case may be, you know. Because uh, they're using it to change personnel. Absolutely. So that's the whole reason they're using it. So, I mean, if a guy takes – I mean, think about it this. If a guy takes a fall on third down so that you can get your pass rush package on the field – you get a stop, then they punt. It, 
he's not missing any time because he'd be coming off the field anyway, right? So so where's the win there? I mean, teams are going to do it on third down all the time, so you can get a, you can get a stop and make that substitution. So uh, they've got to prevent the mass substitution on it. I, I think that's the biggest that's the biggest issue because that's where everybody's taking advantage of it at this point. All right, let's talk about this team heading into this week. That they've been competitive against everybody. They play gritty against everybody. Rob, they got enough in the tank to play like that one more time before they head into an open date. Not if Hinton Hooker doesn't play, in my opinion. I think, I think with him, I think they'll put some points up. Without him, I think it's going to be a real struggle. And man, I was, I was, I mean, I, I think we've all been on board that he's been playing really, really well. Uh, Monday night started compiling the pro football focus stuff. Hooker's. Hooker's graded out the 10th best quarterback in the country right now, according to Pro Football Focus. And if, I mean, unless you think, I know some people, you know, look at those graves, graves and scoff. Other guys in the top 10 are Matt Corral, Kenny Pickett, CJ Stroud from Oklahoma, um, and Bryce Young. So it's, that's a pretty, pretty heady company. And so if he's not around, I, I don't, I don't think it's close. I mean, it may not be close anyway. I don't well, know if it, Vegas expects him to sit, but I with with Hooker, I wouldn't think Tennessee's a twenty-eight underdog like the line opened up as. Austin, I think we all. I mean, I think you and I agree. Rob probably does as well. That you know, setting him makes the most sense. You know, get get well. Get and and, and Rob, I know you agree with that too. But but you take the open date, get well. Do it. You know, with Joe Milton, with the way that game ended, with the way he did at the end, if you're Josh Heupel, do you have any concerns about your team playing at the level in terms of the effort and the intensity that they played at with Joe Milton on the field versus – I mean, obviously there's a drop-off in production with Hendon Hooker. My question is, is this team – is their effort – would their effort or will their effort be the same if it's not – if it's, if it's Joe Milton at the quarterback, in particular with the way that the game ended. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, there were some that were very frustrated with Joe after the game um, with the way it ended, um, more so than just, you know, the fans. Um, I, I, I just look at it as this, like, at the quarterback spot, to me, I mean, like, I would never want to play Joe the way the game ended. I would play Harrison Bailey. But I understand if Harrison doesn't want to play and he, he's content on red shirting. I know he can play four games, but, you know, if he plays this game, then, you know, that's just one less he can play in the rest of the year um, if you needed him later in the year to, to kind of get to the finish line of Hendon, you know, were to re-aggravate something. So, um, I don't know. I, you know, it will be, be interesting to see what they do Saturday. I, I, I mean, I'm on I, – I, I, Hypo doesn't feel this way, I don't think. I, I think if, if he can get anything out of anybody, he's going to play them. But, you know, I – I, I'm all on board with, you know, Cooper, Tyon, all those guys that have been nursing ankles, Cade, like set them that gets them two full, you know, really three weeks from now when you know, or 19 days before they play Kentucky. Rob, this, this team, and, and we all know this because we talked to enough guys and it wasn't window dressing. I mean, this team was, this team was all in with Joe Milton in the preseason, right? Heading into week one. Uh, heading into week two, they, they were good. Even though Joe didn't play great the first week, they, they were they were all good. This team played hard the first two weeks. Their effort was good. Does anything change, or does this just – the DNA of this team is established. They're going to show up and play. 
That's what I think. I mean, I think I think it's the job of the coaching staff to to get them ready to play, and and I think they will do that no matter who's under center. Yeah. So um, my guess is that's how kids respond. I think that frustration goes away pretty quickly. Um, yeah, there's a lot of frustration at the end of that game for a lot of different reasons, but um, I, I think there's I think kids are pretty resilient and, and line up and and play. Uh, whoever the next opponent is in front of them and, and, and are going to lay going to lay it on the line. Bigger surprise to, to you guys. Um, well, let me just ask it this way. How big of a surprise is Omar Thomas has played to you guys? Um, I, upon rewatching, I thought he was exceptional, exceptional Saturday night. He graded out as the Pro football focus graded him out as the highest defensive player, Hubbard. So you agree with him on, on that one. So yeah, I, he showed up way more than he has at any point this season. I also throw, I'll throw in um, Byron Young too. I thought he flashed. I mean, he's flashed a little bit in every game. I thought he flashed pretty consistently in this one. I mean, you could. There were a couple of times where you could really see his athleticism. What did you say about Amari? AP. I was just gonna say, I, I, you know, uh, I think maybe just starting to click for him more. I mean, he settling down. I mean, it's just second year in the program. First time with a real defensive line coach because he didn't have one a year ago. He had a substitute teacher. Um, you know, so, I mean, I, I think just more than anything, just settling down and kind of finding himself. He's in better shape than when he arrived. Um, you know, he, he's learning from Rodney, doing some different things, using his hands more, uh, being a little more violent. And, uh, you know, I, at least Saturday it showed up. We'll see. He's got to continue to be more consistent. But, you know, definitely uh, maybe his best game to date. You guys think Matthew Butler's an NFL player? I think he's got a shot, man. And speaking, I know we've talked about this before. He played seventy-eight snaps. Stupid, just ridiculous number. Stupid. I don't. I don't know that I've ever seen. I mean, I know I've never seen a number that high for a defensive lineman. I think he's going to give himself a chance. Here's the thing: whoever knows who is an NFL player and who's not. I mean, like, you know, there have been guys that you're like, "Oh, that guy's going to kill it in the league," and they were just never made it. And then guys, you're like. How is that kid still in the NFL after eight or nine years? So, I mean, Malcolm Johnson. Yeah, I mean, you know, all it takes is one team. I mean, look at Nathan Peterman. It took one coach. Now, he's no longer with <laughs> him. To say, Nathan's but, career's done because that guy's out of the league. But go ahead. But, like, I, hey, how many, how many years does he survive, though? This is, what, year five? So, I mean, like, you know, I mean, five years in the league, you get NFL pension. I mean, no one would have ever thought that. I just a good chunk of change, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I just if I'm an if I'm an NFL scout, you know, there's a lot of things I look at. Matthew Butler, maybe he's a little stiff, maybe he's not this, but I keep coming back to the durability and the volume of snaps that he plays, and I'm just sitting there going, is there not a place for him on my roster somewhere? You, you know what I mean? I mean, is he ever going to be an All Star? Okay. I, I don't I don't know about that. He's not nearly as athletic or productive as Dan Williams was, Rob, that senior year. But but you just don't see guys playing defensive tackles playing fifty five to eighty snaps a football game, and he's consistently playing fifty plus every and week. I tell, I tell you what else will help him out too is he's a high character guy. He's going to be a great locker room guy. You're never going to have to worry about him. You know his attitude about him not showing up for work. I mean, he from all those standpoints, I could see him being a, a professional. I mean, a guy that coaches just like to have around that they know they can depend on. I mean, I don't know that he'd ever be an NFL starter, but I think he—I think he's given himself a chance to be a rotation guy. He'll definitely be in somebody's camp next year. 
I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Again, somebody's going to look at that number of snaps and take note of that and just, you know, talk about you're looking for competitive character. You're trying to figure out what makes a guy tick. I mean, that's a guy who playing the game obviously means a lot for, for someone who's got the ability to do that. Um, speaking of volume of snaps, I asked Josh Heupel this on Monday. I'm going to ask you guys the same, same question. How concerning – I know there's an open date coming up, but how concerning is it with the number of, of reps guys are taking that they may hit a wall, may run out of gas, so to speak, down the stretch of the season? I mean, surely he's dealt with that before. I mean, does he have a plan? To, I mean, I would, I would think that he's, you know, come up with some theories on how to manage that, having, you know, played, played at this pace his, his entire career as a coach. Yeah, I mean, I would think. I mean, he, he said they would continue to go about it. You know, guys would recover and they're in good shape and they can handle things. I just I just wonder at some point in time when you got receivers playing 80 snaps a game and, and you got, you know, the, the the number of plays guys are playing, I just wonder if that catches up catches up to you at some point. I think that I, I, the, the open date comes at a perfect time for Tennessee from a scheduling hey, standpoint. Javante Payton played every single snap Saturday night. Played all 83 – Offensive snaps. I mean, now that's that's, that's crazy. I'll say say this, Austin. They save some receivers' legs during the game because if the play's not going to your side, there are some plays where guys just stand there when the ball's snapped. Yeah, I mean, which is unusual, you know. Yeah, it's different. Just you know, some things they teach. I mean, it's just. I mean, like. It's what makes them good in certain ways, but it makes, you know, some people go, why, why do they do that? You know, because it's just different. You don't see it a whole lot. No, you certainly don't. All right, let's hop to a couple of uh, recruiting things here before we uh, um, get get moving and get rabbit. Well, before we do that, Jimbo Fisher to LSU, is is that too easy? To, is that too easy to see? Or is everybody missing something there? No buyout in the contract. He can he can walk from A&M, which is the craziest thing I've ever I've ever seen in a contract that's being done. The guy who hired him at A&M is now at, at LSU. Fisher was at LSU once before. Is LSU a better job than A&M? Is this, is this is a laydown to fit for Fisher or no? No. I, I don't think it's a laydown, but I think it's a better job. I mean, you're, you're the only school in, this, in a state that produces tons of talent every year. Texas A&M is never going to be the top program in their own state. I don't care how, I don't care if they're ranked number one in the country and are undefeated and Texas is three and six. It, Texas so, is Texas still going to be the flagship program in that state. So does that make the A&M job even less attractive because a, because Texas is coming in the SEC? Yeah, I mean, I'd say it makes it maybe a little less attractive, but it's still, I mean, it's still a big time job. I mean, you guys were there when we, we all saw, we all saw the resources that they have several years ago and, and they've got tons of money. It's just, you know, Texas is one of the all-time blue bloods. And I don't, I mean, even if their performance does not match their reputation at the current moment, I mean, I don't think that's going to change. Do you think so? Can, can LSU afford 10 million a year? After they paid Bebe 17 to go pick up chicks at gas stations. <laughs> I mean, they, they just paid, the, they paid the women's basketball coach $2 million a year. I think, I think any SEC school, I mean, not Vanderbilt or the Mississippi's, but I mean, I think any of the, the power programs that are national championship contenders, you can, you can come up with that money. It just, it feels awful easy. And, and maybe, it, maybe it is, but it feels like this is the roadmap that's been laid out there 
for, for a year. You know what I'm saying? That this is where it was going. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. All right, we got to get to the couple of recruiting things before we get out the door. Austin, in a nutshell, recap last weekend and kind of where things maybe are going defensively in recruiting for Tennessee, because I think that's kind of what's on everybody's minds defense. Well, no doubt. I mean, I, they're going to continue to swing at some of these kids, like, uh, you know, that, that are pass rushers. You know, James Pierce, um, you know, Joshua Josephs, you know, uh, wouldn't surprise me if Demario Tolan gave Tennessee another look now that LSU is back open. Um, not sure Tennessee will go down that road. Maybe though, I don't think it's uh, an open and shut case. Uh, just because I think Pierce and Josephs have rocketed up the board so much. Um, you know, obviously Walter Nolan is someone at Tennessee covets. Um, Tennessee wants to add corners. Everybody's going to ask about Christian Harrison. I had this in the chat. I put this in the chat because uh, people people asked about it. I don't think that anything's imminent there. Um, you know, I think, you know, he's getting more and more interest. I think Tennessee right now is the school that stands out to him, but I think he's going to, uh, look at everybody that, uh, comes calling the next six weeks or so, and then probably start working towards a decision then. Anybody else on that LSU commit list? I mean, it, it, if correct me if I'm wrong, did Embry Jones visit the, the offensive yeah, he did. lineman? Would, he would did. And, and that'd be the one would guy. they take a swing there? I mean, you know, I mean, they need an offensive lineman, but a lot of people's, I've thought maybe transfer, tackle, that type of thing. Would they swing at another high school kid? Yes, they would swing at Emory Jones. Just because they liked him that much? Yes, and, very much and, so. Emory Jones, I, big time. Yeah, I don't know that Emory Jones would have interest in Tennessee. I don't know where he's going to be at. But, you know, when you make a coaching change this early, Rob Lewis, <laughs> you're serving up your commitment list to everybody the, to come after, the, right? The vultures, the vultures are circling. They, they are certainly big, big time circling as well. All right, so – for Tennessee, Austin, you got a couple of weeks off. I mean, night game, will they will they do any work in, in Alabama, you think, this week, seeing some kids? Or is that – I can see them going to see Squirrel White. I mean, if, if Cody Burns isn't in Birmingham seeing Squirrel White play, um, you know, because I don't believe they've been to, to that school this fall. Um, if he's not there, then I'd be shocked. Okay. And then they will use the open date to head out everywhere for the weekend, I mean, right? And, you know, who knows with Squirrel White? You know, I mean, you know, Auburn ain't going to go away. Alabama loved him at camp. Um, you know, they had, you know, somebody like Barry on Brown ahead of him. But he was ahead of a lot of other guys. A lot of smoke around Barry on in Kentucky. So, you know, I mean, I, I think Barry on's, you know, trending towards the Wildcats right now. And so if Alabama misses a um, then you know, do they turn their attentions to score white or someone else? I mean, I, I, again, I'm just playing, you know, the, the things that Tennessee's going to have to, you know, think about. Navigate through for, for sure. All right, Rob, let's, let's quickly hit the hoops front. Uh, big official visitor in this past weekend, that update on him. What's the latest going on? Hoops recruiting, what's the latest going on with this current roster? Uh, yeah, Chandler Jackson in. Um, guy that Tennessee offered late, guard out of Memphis. I, you know, I – Contrary to some, I don't really think the late offer hurt Tennessee because, I mean, I think they were very upfront with him about it. They, they even, even when he didn't have an offer on the table, they were talking to him. They were, they were in touch. They were, you know, keeping him abreast of the situation. And, you know, I think he, he's a, having met him, he's a, he's a mature kid. He's a really intelligent kid. I think he appreciated the forthright manner in which Tennessee dealt with him instead of, you know, throwing, throwing him an offer that was not committable. At, at the time. And I think in a way it might've even helped him help Tennessee, but, you know, to, to deal with him 
up front like that. Uh, he, he he visited Virginia Tech. I don't think they're in it. Um, he's visiting Florida State next week. I do think they're in it. Um, Memphis, he told me that Memphis, Florida State, Tennessee were the schools recruiting him the hardest. And he didn't want to talk about favorites, but I would I would label those as, as his top three just based on his comments. And, um, you know, he's got some ties to Tennessee. His family, they're, they're Tennessee fans. Um, he's got some high school friends that are that are currently – on campus, he and Kennedy Chandler know each other really well from growing up in Memphis, playing playing a lot of ball together. And I think that, in a way, that Kennedy Chandler picking Tennessee and leaving Memphis would make it easier for you know other people and certainly Jackson to do the same thing. So I would I would keep my eye on that eye on that one. I don't think it's a slam dunk by any means, but I think Tennessee's in the top three, and I think the kid is, is open to 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 leaving Memphis. Unlike you know you see with a lot of prospects from there. And with Allen Hayden, do what. Friends with Dallin and Hayden. Yeah, friends with the with with Dallin. It's a good point. As for the current roster, Rob, anything major happening there? In the, in, in uh, no, nothing that nothing that we haven't been covering in the war room. I think Rick's got a pretty defined. I mean, the biggest storyline there is just you know who's going to who's going to end up not getting minutes because I think there's enough depth on this team that you're going to see some some really talented guys not not have a defined role on this on this team. Because Rick's not going ten deep, right? I don't. I don't see it. I mean, I don't think he'll change. I mean, he's never. You know, a lot of a lot of years he doesn't go much past seven, right? Um, and you know, maybe there'll be an eighth guy that gets some crumbs here and there. But I can't see nine people. You know, for us, I can't. I can see eight, I guess, but I, I can't see nine people really having a defined role and getting you know regular minutes on this team. But you know, maybe maybe he adapts. But that's really not his strong suit. Yeah, so we'll see what this basketball team continues to look like. We'll continue to cover that. Obviously, you're going to cover Tennessee football all week leading up to out the Alabama game. Who all plays? Um, how does this thing shake out from an injury standpoint? And, and who's available uh, as the week progresses? And how does this team continue to uh, line up and play with the effort and intensity that they have um, as they head into uh, a long stretch of games here or finish out this long stretch of games? before the open date comes up. So we'll follow all of that with stock report, all of our regular coverage coming up throughout the week at VolQuest.com. That's going to do it for this edition of the podcast presented by Smoky Mountain Organics with Rob Lewis and Austin Price and Brent Hubs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody. You've been listening to the VolQuest podcast every week here on VolQuest.